I have a question for you this morning. Are you ready? What do you worry about the most? What do you worry about the most? Well, I was curious, and so I went online, and I typed in, you know, top reasons that people worry, and I saw a bunch of articles. But I found one that really caught my interest, and it has these top five reasons. Now, as I go through the top five reasons, think of any of these might apply to you. Are you ready? Okay, here's the first thing. People sometimes worry about money. And sometimes it has to do with the fact that we feel like we're just way too far in debt or we're worried about our financial future. How am I ever going to afford to retire? How am I going to send the kids through college? How am I going to pay the bills this month? It's like the one guy who said, you know what? I never worry about money. In fact, I have enough money to last me the rest of my life as long as I die by next Tuesday. <laughs> so sometimes we worry about what? We worry about money. Here's another thing that people worry about. Job security. Sometimes people worry, you know what, I could lose my job. If I, don't, if I don't meet this standard of performance, I could be fired or the market could change or the company could downsize. All these things can cause anxiety about our jobs. Here's another category that causes us to worry, relationships. Now I could do a whole message on relationships, but think about this. Sometimes people who are single worry I'm always going to be single. I'll never find Mr. or Ms. Wright. And then if they do have a romantic relationship, they worry, is this, is this relationship really strong? What direction is it going? All these worries. But of course, if you're married, you have no worries when it comes to relationships. <laughs> we know that's not true. And you know, think about it. Parents worry about their kids. Kids worry about their parents. Brothers worry about their sisters. We worry about friends and colleagues and coworkers. There's all these relational worries that we can have. And then there's this category, our health. And maybe there's something about your health or the health of somebody you love that you're worried about this morning. Sometimes, you know, that concern about health is a good thing because it can help us to take better care of ourselves. But so often people worry about if they're going to get sick, if they're sick, if it's going to get worse. All these things cause our hearts anxiety. And here's the fifth category. This is coping with life. People worry that they can't handle their worry, that there's just too much stress to deal with. Now, thinking about the fact that our students are with us in the service, I actually did another search for things that teenagers worry about. And I found some things here that I like to share with you students, okay? And see if this is true for you, what teens worry about. Number one, grades. Is that true? Just nod your head, okay? I think it is. Um, number two is sleep. Worrying about sleep. It says... Choosing between sleep, good grades, and a social life is actually a genuine problem. Here's something else that teenagers worry about, time. It's just enough time to do all the stuff they're trying to do. Number four, the future. What's going to happen after high school? Will I get into college? Will it be a good college? What will I do after college? Students worry about the future. And here's one that I thought was really interesting, worth. Is learning this worth it? Am I worth it? Is life worth it? Now, if you're a parent and you've ever worried about a child, a teenager, I have a letter that I want to share with you. I thought it was a remarkable letter um, that a mom and a dad received when their son was away at summer camp. Now, listen, if you ever send your child on a missions trip at BBCC, I hope you never get a letter like this. Are you ready? Okay, dear mom and dad, we're having a great time here at Lake Typhoid. 
Scoutmaster Webb is making us all right to our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and were worried about us. We are okay. Only one of our tents and two of our sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh, yeah. Would you please call Chad's mother and tell her that he's okay? He can't write because of the cast. When we were looking for him, I got to ride in one of the search and rescue vehicles. It was so neat. We never would have found him in the dark if it hadn't been for the lightning. Scoutmaster Webb got mad at Chad for going on a hike alone without telling anyone. Chad said he did tell him, but it was during the fire, so he probably didn't hear him. <laughs> did you know? Did you know that if you put gas on a fire, the gas can will blow up? The wet wood still didn't burn, but one of our tents did, and also some of our clothes. My friend John is going to look, well, kind of weird until his hair grows back. Hey, Mom and Dad, we'll be home on Saturday if Scoutmaster Webb can get the car fixed. It wasn't his fault about the wreck. The brakes worked fine when we left. Scoutmaster Webb said that with a car that old, you have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance on it. We think it's a really neat car. He doesn't care if we get it dirty. And if it's hot, sometimes he lets us ride on the tailgate. It gets pretty hot with 10 people in the car, but he let us take turns riding in the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped and talked to us. Scoutmaster Webb is really a neat guy. And don't worry, he's a really good driver. In fact, he's teaching Terry how to drive, but he only lets him drive on the mountain roads where there isn't any traffic except for the logging trucks. Scoutmaster Webb has to spend a lot of time working on the car, so we try not to cause him any trouble. And guess what? We all got our first aid merit badges. When Dave dove into the lake and cut his arm, we got to see how a tourniquet works. I have to go now. We're going into town to mail our letters and buy bullets. So don't worry about anything. We are fine. Love your son, Cole. P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? Today, we've come to the end of the letter that we've been walking through the last few weeks, the letter of, of Philippians, and we're going to talk about a topic that affects every one of us, and that topic is worry. And whether worry is an occasional visitor or an unwanted guest in your life, we're going to see what God says about how we can find peace in a world filled with so much trouble. So I want to do this. I want us to uh, look again at the theme of Philippians. It's on your outline. The book of Philippians teaches us the kind of perspective a follower of Christ must have in order to experience joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. Now, church, the, the letter that Paul wrote, and again, Paul is a man, a follower of Jesus back in the first century, and he was no stranger to anxiety. I mean, he had all the reason in the world to worry. He is awaiting a trial before Caesar. He could actually lose his life. And he's going to tell us how to deal with worry and anxiety. And realize this, when you read the Bible, that letter was written to those Philippian believers a long time ago. But God intends this letter for us. So my prayer is that we will listen carefully to what God has to say to us about managing the worry and anxiety in our life. So we're going to begin with verse 4 of chapter 4. And this is what we read. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. What does that include? Yeah, it's real clear, isn't it? Every situation. 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And Paul goes on and writes this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And here's what Paul says next. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Now here's the big question I want us to consider this morning that's on your outline. How can we find freedom from anxiety and experience this peace that God promises? And here's the first step. The pathway to peace requires the choice to rejoice. The choice to rejoice. In between services, I was talking to um, someone about my recent trip to Colombia. And as many of you know, I've had the opportunity to go to that, that country a number of times with a team sponsored by Voice of the Martyrs. And we heard remarkable stories about persecution and suffering and pain. And for me and my wife, Chris, these stories have become personal because we've gotten to know um, a number of these pastors and their wives and their families. And one of the families that we met um, last year at a conference, they minister in Mexico. As soon as they got home from the conference, they were attacked. And the husband was hit in the back of the head with a lead pipe. They were dragging his wife off with some when some people from the church intervened and saved their lives. And there was another pastor and his wife um, who also minister in Mexico who were abducted at, at gunpoint. Um, they were held for hours and finally released, but when he was released, they took him to a town where they had executed nine pastors. And listening to these stories was heartbreaking, but listening to these stories renewed my hope in the power of God because these pastors and these pastors' wives and these families refused to quit. And I know it's because of God's power working in them but there's something remarkable that I experience every time I go and I meet with these persecuted pastors and it has to do with our prayer times and our worship times because when we worship together, the joy and the peace in that place is something you can almost reach out and touch. And this, this last time when I was there, I was, I was thinking, how can people rejoice with circumstances like this? And the answer is, is found in this verse, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And you think about the things that we worry about. I mean, can you rejoice in your finances sometimes? Yeah, because sometimes your finances are good. Can you rejoice in your finances always? No. What about your health? Well, sometimes your health is good. Sometimes your health is bad. You can't rejoice in your health always. You can't rejoice in your relationships always. You can't rejoice in your job security always. But you can rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And listen, if you're a Christian this morning, you think about this. Think about who Jesus is. Look at this statement. We rejoice in the Lord as we think about who Jesus is. Do you realize that Jesus, the one who created the universe, the one who holds the universe together, is your Savior, he's your master, he's your king, he's your brother, and he's your friend. And talk about friends in high places. 
Jesus loves you like nobody else. And we should be able to rejoice in him no matter what the circumstances are in our lives. And it gets even better because here's the rest of that statement. We rejoice in the Lord as we think about who Jesus is, what he has done for us in the past. What has Jesus done for us? He settled our past. He's made it possible for us to be completely forgiven. We don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with shame. That's because of Jesus. We can forgive other people. We can actually forgive ourselves. And think about this. We can rejoice in what Jesus is doing for us when? Now. Because whatever challenges you face in your life, Jesus is, says, I'm with you. I'm for you. I will give you strength and wisdom and courage. And then look at this. We can rejoice in what God, through Jesus, has promised to do for us in the future. Because no matter how hard life may be, remember this, it's only temporary. It's only temporary because Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new. A day is coming when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And even when life is really, really hard, we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in the Lord. And look at verse 5. It says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now here's another reason to rejoice we rejoice in the Lord as we cultivate an awareness of his presence. An awareness of his presence. At the end of the service today, we're going to sing a song, and the title is, I Am Not Alone. And if you're a follower of Christ, that's what you need to remember. When you walk through the valley, when you walk through the shadow, when you walk through uncertainty, you are not alone. Jesus has promised that he will never leave us and never forsake us. In fact, if you're a believer this morning, he lives in you through his spirit. But here's what we need to do. We need to cultivate the awareness that Jesus is with us because we don't see him with our physical eyes. Every single Sunday, when I'm either sitting here on a stool behind the keyboard or sitting down front, when I step up here to speak, I have the same thought and the same prayer every single Sunday. Jesus, stay with me. And I have this, this sense that he is. He's right next to me. Even right now, through his spirit, Jesus is with me. And Jesus can enable you to do things that seem impossible, things that make you anxious and afraid. But how do you cultivate this awareness that Jesus is next to you? And the answer really is quite simple. You talk to him. You pray to him. And notice this. This is on your, on your outline. The pathway to peace requires the right kind of praying. And this is so important to understand. Mary Crowley in her book, Be Somebody, said this, every evening I turn my worries over to God because he's going to be up all night anyway. That's a great thought, isn't it? You know, I've shared with some of you that I have this, this worry box and I take little pieces of paper and I write down the things I'm worried about. I put them in the box and then I close the top and I say, okay, God, you can take care of these because I'm going to bed, but you're going to be up all night anyway. We can turn our worries over to God. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says this in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with, and here's the key word, thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, here's one of the ways that we need to pray in order to find this pathway to peace. Pray with a thankful heart. A thankful heart. Now, why is it so important to pray with a thankful heart? Because in order to thank God for what he's done, you have to do what? You have to remember what God has done. You have to take a look back. And when you remember what God's done in the past, it gives you confidence 
that he will do it again today and into the future. I was watching one of the Rocky movies. How many of you are fans of the Rocky films? Okay, good. And it happened to be, it was, they were like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, the whole, you know, series. And it was Rocky Four, And he's fighting the, uh, the fighter from, from Russia. And it was at the beginning of the fight. And of course, the, you know, Russian fighter towers above, you know, Sylvester Stallone. And the commentator says, this is a real David and Goliath match. And I thought to myself, you know, I just love that story in the Bible about David and Goliath. And I don't know how much anxiety Rocky had when he faced Drago. But I thought about David. And that story is really a remarkable story about worry and anxiety. Because think about this. When this giant Goliath is antagonizing the whole nation of Israel, saying, hey, send somebody out to fight me, they're, they're all terrified. Except for one shepherd boy who goes to the king, King Saul, and says, hey, I'll take this guy. And do you remember what King Saul says? This is really a paraphrase, but he says, are you crazy? This guy has been a warrior his whole life, and you're just a, you're a kid. You don't know how to fight. What makes you think you can beat a giant? And I love what David says. I mean, this teenage boy says, I'll tell you what, king, my dad sent me out to watch his sheep, and there was a lion, and there was a bear, and they tried to kill my, my dad's sheep. I killed them. And the God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the paw of this Philistine giant. Some serious confidence, isn't it? Where did it come from? David took a look back. He remembered what God had done in his life. So listen, you don't need to be paralyzed by worry and fear and anxiety. Take a look back and remember what God has done in your life. I know some of you this morning... I've heard the stories. I know that God's done incredible things in your life. You have a, a track record with God. Remember that record of God's faithfulness in your life. And listen, this is something that I encourage you to do. Write those things down. Keep a journal. Because as you go back and read that journal, it will give you confidence for whatever's happening in your life today. Because think about it. The Bible is really a journal, isn't it? It records stories of God's faithfulness because the deal is this. We can choose to live in fear or we can choose to live in faith. And that's possible as you pray with a thankful heart and as you also do this, as you tell God specifically what you need. Look at verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, the word petition means very specific request. And I think this gets to the heart of why we worry. We worry because we don't think we're going to have what we need. Isn't that true? Why do people worry about finances? Because we don't think we'll have the what? We won't have the money that we need. There may be an important decision that you need to make, and you worry and you worry because you don't think you're going to have the wisdom you need to make a good decision, the right decision. Or maybe there's a situation where, you know, you just worry because, you know, if something bad happens, I'm not going to have the strength to deal with it. I was talking with a young man who's got a lot of anxiety in his life. And I was talking to him about this very verse that we can tell God exactly what we need. And that's not just something we do every day. Sometimes we do it every hour. Sometimes we do it every minute. And we say, God, I'm not going to make it if you don't come through. God, I need your help. I need to know what you want me to do. God, I need encouragement. 
God, I need an answer. And see, when we find ourselves in that, that kind of dependency on God, it fosters that close connection that leads to peace. Because we know that God hears us and answers us because of Jesus. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, if you do this, if you will pray with thanksgiving, if you will be clear about your petitions, your specific requests, he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what do we need to guard our hearts from? Well, from doubt, from fear, from discouragement, from anxiety, from all of these things. How do you guard your heart? Well, one way to guard your heart is to pray. Here's another really important way to guard your heart. Manage your thoughts. And that's the next step on this pathway to peace. The pathway to peace requires the right kind of thinking. The right kind of thinking. Listen to this story. A very worried airline passenger began pacing the terminal when bad weather delayed his flight. During his walk, he came across a life insurance machine. It offered $100,000 in the event of an untimely death aboard his flight. The policy was just $3. He looked out the window at the threatening clouds and began thinking about his family at home. For that price, it was foolish not to buy the insurance, so he took out the coverage. He then looked for a place to eat and found his favorite, a Chinese restaurant. It was a relaxing meal until he opened his fortune cookie. It read, your recent investment will soon pay big dividends. <laughs> Pathway to peace requires thinking the right thoughts. And that's what Paul says in this verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right or pure or lovely or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why is this so important? Because your thoughts shape your life. Your thoughts shape your life. Your thoughts are so powerful. And that's why Paul says, hey, you got to think about what is true. You have to think about what is true. Look at this statement on your outline. It's essential to reject what is false and believe what is true since your thoughts deeply influence your emotions and your behavior. And that brings us to this last step on the pathway to peace. The pathway to peace requires the right kind of living. The right kind of living. That's what Paul says in verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus loved Paul very much, and Paul loved Jesus. And Paul would say, I'm trying to follow the example of Jesus. And as I do that, you can follow my example. And that's what he's saying in these verses. Hey, wh what you see in me, that's the way that God wants you to live. And if you live the way that God wants you to live, if you live a life that is pleasing him, you will have peace. Now, what's the flip side? Well, if you're living in a way that you know displeases and dishonors God, is it possible to have peace? No. I mean, the, the reality is that there are times in our lives when we're doing something wrong and we're trying to hide it. And it, it causes all kinds of anxiety because we're afraid that somebody's going to find out. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you've been trying to hide. Maybe you're trying to hide it from your spouse or your parents or your friends. 
Maybe you're even trying to hide it from God. And you know that he knows, but you're still trying to hide it. Church, this morning, as we celebrate communion, this is an opportunity to come out of hiding. It's an opportunity to be honest with God about what's going on in our hearts, about the things that worry us, the things that make us anxious, the things that wake us up at 2 a.m. in the morning. God wants you to come to him and tell him so that he can give you his peace. Take a look at this, this last statement on your outline this morning. It says this, as you trust God and obey God, you will experience his peace. This is such an important principle of Scripture. As you trust God and obey God, you will experience his peace. Listen, I want every single one of us to know the peace of God. I really do. I pray that we will know the peace of God. But you cannot know the peace of God unless you have peace with God. And there's only one way to get peace with God. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I was thinking just, just last night about this, this gospel, this good news about Jesus, and how it addresses our fears and it really is remarkable because if you go back to the beginning of the book, the story of Adam and Eve, you know, they have the perfect relationship with God and then they sin, they disobey God. And what is the first emotion that they experience? Do you know? Can you guess? Yeah, it's fear. Now Adam says, well, God, you know, I, I, was, I was hiding because I was afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid that you would know what I'd done. Afraid that you would see my guilt afraid that you would see my shame. And see, people have been hiding ever since. Our sin separates us from God because God's holy. And because God's just, he has to punish every sin that we've ever committed. That's why God couldn't just say, hey, Adam and Eve, no big deal. Let me give you a do-over. Not what he did. He forced him to leave the only home they'd ever known. They were separated from God and they died because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, when you just look at the bad news, is that something that should make us fearful? Just the bad news itself. You think about a song that many people know, Amazing Grace. How many of you know the lyrics to Amazing Grace? Okay, verse two. T'was grace that taught my heart to what? To fear. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear what? Relief. You see, the good news relieves our fear because we understand the grace of God that because of his great love, he sends Jesus Christ to our world. And think about this. This is really remarkable as you trace this idea of fear through Scripture. When the angels appear to the shepherds, what emotion do the shepherds have? They're terrified. And that's why the angels say, Fear not, for I bring you what? Good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Don't be afraid. That's why over 360 times in the Bible, God says, Hey, fear not. I came to do something about your fear. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He lives a perfect life. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. And on the cross, God takes our sin and puts it on Jesus. And he's punished in our place. And he dies the death that we deserved. And God raises him to life. And Jesus says, hey, hey, come and follow me. I want to give you a brand new life so that you don't have to live with fear anymore because I am always with you and I will never leave you and church I was thinking about this 
this book of Philippians that we've been studying and we've been talking about the theme, you know, how to live with joy and peace in a world filled with what? Trouble. And here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. There are essentially two ways you can live in this world. You can live in fear or you can live in faith. You can go through your life dealing with worry and anxiety and discouragement or you can do this. You can learn to trust God to accomplish his purpose in your life. Did you hear that? You can learn to trust God. Listen, I have been dealing with this issue of anxiety my whole life because that's just how God wired me. I'm wired as a worrier, but Jesus is showing me how not to worry, how to trust him, how to believe him. I was sharing with the worship team, I thought it was really remarkable that often as parents we see the traits that we have in our kids and uh, my child's name will uh, not be shared but uh, one of our kids early on just showed this penchant for worrying because in the back seat my child would say hey dad are you sure we have enough gas to get there just watching the gas gauge dad are you sure you know how to get there dad are you sure we're going to be on time and it's like man that that worrying is sometimes just built into our human heart and God says, I don't want you to have to go through life always being afraid and always worrying. And, and church, my prayer is this. You know, whether you are wired as a worrier or maybe it's not as significant a problem for you, I think it's something we all deal with, this issue of anxiety. But my prayer is this, that God will give us the grace and give us the faith we need to trust him. I mean, to really trust him. And to believe with all our hearts that because of Jesus, Listen carefully. Because of Jesus, we have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and absolutely nothing to fear. Let's pray. God, I'm just so incredibly thankful this morning for your grace. I'm so thankful, God, for the story of Jesus, for the story of your rescue, and how it's possible to live an entirely different kind of life as we trust you. God, I pray this morning that as we celebrate and remember what Christ has done for us, that you would give us a renewed sense of your presence and your peace. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread or drink the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this is, this is an encouragement from, from Paul to look at our hearts and to say, have I really made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? Have I understood the bad news about myself and the good news about Jesus? And church, I pray this morning that as we come to remember what Christ has done for us, that we really would sense his presence with us this morning. And as we experience the, the presence of Christ through his spirit, that we would experience not only the peace of God, but peace with God. And with that in mind, would you pray with me? 
Father, we know that the only way to really have peace with you is by coming to the point of surrendering our lives to Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who have done that, I pray that in these moments, Lord, you would point out any sin in our hearts that we need to confess because you've promised to forgive us. And Lord, for the person who maybe for the very first time is understanding this bad news about themselves and the good news about Jesus, I pray that this morning, God, they would make the most important, the most courageous decision they could ever make, and that is to surrender their life to you, Lord. To simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead and I want to follow you. And God, you always honor that prayer. Lord, I pray this morning that as we celebrate all that you've done for us, all that you've promised to do, all that you're doing today, that, Lord, we would draw near to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.